It's Thursday, and you know what that means. It is episode 65 of the most elite show on the Rundown Wrestling Network. This is the AEW Rundown. My name is Adam. I'm your host, Salas here. What's up, buddy? Hello. I have a new microphone, and it's fantastic. Does it make you talk all stilted like a jackass? Yes. It's kind of <laughs> setting. <laughs> I quit. Okay. I'm kidding. Relax. Uh, besides, I aren't you glad I'm not yelling at you this week? I mean, Jesus. Yeah, How, you were a dick last week. I was very tired. It was getting later and later. Later it got, That's tighter nice. I got. That's no excuse. No excuse. No excuses. How's your week been? All right. All right. I've been tired. I'm very tired, actually. <laughs> I don't know if I'm coming down with something or what, but God, God. Oh, no, not the vid. Please tell just, me not the vid. I'm ready to just get this shit over with and go to bed. <laughs> Way to bring that enthusiasm. Cheers. No, you know I look forward to this every week. We podcast. We talk about AEW. And uh, we make fun of all the bad things they do. And some of the mm-hmm. bad bad decisions they make. Mm-hmm. This week we had lots of bad decisions. <laughs> we had a lot of bad decisions. We even had some questionable decisions. Yes, we also we also usually stream at twitch.tv slash the Souls Effect, but we're not doing that this week because I didn't feel like it. And I have that power. It's so. a thing. It's a thing, people. Alright? Don't take don't take the stream for granted. Okay, appreciate <laughs> it when it's there. The only person who ever shows up is Astro, and she doesn't give a shit about wrestling. So That's not true. Holden's there, like, twice. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Ah, Adam. <sighs> oh, oh. As you uh, have noticed, and I'm sure our listeners have noticed, last week we had a brand new theme song. This week we have a completely different theme song. That trend is going to continue for the next couple weeks because... We are giving our fans the opportunity to choose our theme song for 2021. You will have four choices, and there will be a poll on Twitter at some point. Uh, don't worry, we'll promote it when it's ready. And then you go to Twitter, and you vote for your favorite theme song. And I'm begging you people to vote, because otherwise, I'm going to pick the theme song, and it's it's not going to be good. <laughs> I tried to suggest a song, and I got shot down. It wasn't a bad song. It just wasn't a good podcast opening theme song. It'd be like if Triple H came out to that song. Like, what's he supposed to do with that? What? <laughs> Everybody go look up uh, uh, Kaboom by I Fight Dragons and tell me why it's a bad theme song. Anyway. So last week we had the ever-popular uh, The Girl All the Bad guys want by bowling for soup um it may not have that much to do with dynamite or things that go boom but it does say we watch wrestling in the song uh this week speaking of boom well if that's all it (laughs) this week speaking of boom we have here comes the boom by early 2000s new metal band pod is that what they were progressive i don't believe in that (laughs) Like you don't think it exists? (laughs) I don't believe in using uh, BTS music for anything. I've heard it 
It's 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 not fair. Those poor okay, those poor a, kids. That's, that's a slightly different statement than the first one you made. Those poor kids work like twenty hours a day. Okay, and there's like ten of them on stage. Like, like BTS is Santa or something. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't it. I don't believe it. that. All right. So, that's very exciting. So stay tuned for next week, because we'll have an even different theme song next week. But for now... Even different. Even different. For now, shall we begin with Being the Elite? Oh, oh, oh fine. Episode 238, entitled... The boys are back in... No, sorry. The band is back together. But also subtitled, This shit's 40 minutes long this week. Ugh. Fuck. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, this is going to get old quick. We begin with Gals and Anderson. Chilling with the Bucks. Look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. For anybody who was familiar with New Japan a few years ago, or anybody familiar with um, Gals and Anderson before they signed with the WWE, I was fans. I was a fan of theirs. Um, they have ruined all that goodwill, <laughs> no matter which company they, they go to. So I'm trying here, people. I'm trying. So Gals and Anderson are doing juvenile things, like swinging the belt on their crotch. Okay, and and also crotch chopping, because it must be 1997. And then Matt Jackson calls out Gallows for jerking it in the bathroom, and Gallows admits, that's a shoot, brother. It's at this point I'm instantly like, what if I just shut it off? What if I just say I couldn't find it on YouTube? <laughs> uh, as I put in my notes, we're off to a great start. Matt and Nick bring up how many times Gals and Anderson have screwed them over in the past. Just wait. But Anderson says, that's all That's all water under the bridge. The good brothers are here now, and that's that's all that matters. Nick asks them if the Bucks can trust them, and they say, of course. They too sweet as Anderson takes a shot at Tom and Tonga. I wrote one note for that segment. It says, I'm annoyed already. <laughs> Title sequence. We cut to Gorilla at Dynamite, where a producer tells Matt Jackson that they had to cut 30 seconds from the Bucks match due to Snoop Dogg. Wow. A whole 30 seconds. Backstage Cutler Cam. Yeah. Wow. A whole 30 seconds. How many times do you think they've told, like, Thunder Rosa and, like, Serena Deeb, hey, guys, we have to cut four minutes off your match tonight? Because <laughs> of Snoop Dogg. Yeah. He's not even here. Yeah, he's a Snoop Dogg. Matt Jackson unzips his hoodie to reveal a Rap is Crap t-shirt. I approve. Throwing it back to uh, <laughs> Kurt Henning in uh, 1999 WCW. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, that's true. Then the Bucks talk about their upcoming eight-man tag. Also, Nick warns people not to be too close to his money shot because it'll explode all over their face. That's what he said. <laughs> Don't try not to laugh. It's funny when you just laugh. Then Matt talks about how lazy and behind schedule he is. 
we go to Cutler Camp and see highlights of the aforementioned eight-man tag. After the match, Nick gets treatment on his ankle after Jack Evans 6.30 splashed Nick's ankle. Uh, apparently, this is why Nick doing the moonsault to the floor looked so awkward last week. He said it, that he was going to do exactly what I said he should have done, which was jump up and do the springboard moonsault backwards. And instead, he jumped up and just kind of fell and landed in the ring and then was like, oh, got to go do that spot. So I, least... wrote, I wrote the exact same thing. So that's why that looked so goddamn weird. Sally wanted to do what you said. Yeah. Springboard to the moonsault. Because it just would have made more sense. But, I mean... But his ankle was fidgety. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> or maybe it's not. Maybe that's why... Uh, we'll get to it. All right. Then, Leva Bates. the fuck is the point of Leva Bates? Especially now, without Peter Avalon. I'm just, you know... Excuse you? That was my phone. It vibrated. I apologize. I thought it was on silent. Leva Bates is chilling backstage on some production equipment. Uh, Marco comes up to her and begs Leva to tell Kip the truth because Kip is throwing skateboards in the locker room. She wonders if he can handle the truth, which Marco doubts, but Leva says she'll tell him anyway, and Marco fucks off. But why were they why were they sharing a locker room? We 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 were have been shown in the past that Miro and Kip and Penelope have their own trailer. They were gonna play video games in it until Orange Cassidy turned his Xbox off. See that's the thing. There's no point in the trailer now, the Xbox off. <laughs> we go back to Cutler Cam to see Kenny and the Good Brothers beating up John Moxley. We of course yes. <laughs> Marco, I, I'm pretty sure it was Marco when he was talking about uh, the the skateboards. He called he he threw it like a throwing dart. Yes. As opposed to what other kind of dart? <laughs> he threw it like a catching dart. Dumbass. Ah, uh, we of course see the Bullet Club reunite as well as pose backstage with all their belts. I'm sure this will last a long time. Then we go to the Dark Order Clubhouse. Yay, the Dark Order's back. John Silver complains he can't get rid of the stink under his ball sack. Now I'm starting to take that statement back. <laughs> Regardless he was, of... He was wafting. He was <sighs> wafting. They all were wafting. Colt was wafting. Five was wafting. I just... Mm. Oh, speaking of Five, he shows up trying too hard at life and the Dark Order get annoyed. Five claims his last party was awesome and she he should have another one. Silver calls him a dirty dick motherfucker and says his New Year's Eve party sucked. Five says, What? That's not true. Don't you guys remember? 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 Yes. We then shiver and shake to a flashback sequence. The Dark Order were all sitting at a long table in the conference room looking bored AF. Five tries to offer them some of his mom's wine and they have zero interest. 
Five asks if they're having a good time, and they all answer no. What a great party. There's no decorations. There's no music. There's no other people. And I will give five credit for this. He says, he invited all the creepers, but they didn't show up. <laughs> oh, creeper reference. Uh, five tries to get the party going by having everyone say their New Year's resolution. I'm starting to wonder if Five knows what a party is. Because <laughs> this ain't it. Uh, still, Silver starts off by telling Five, fuck you, and this party sucks dick. Also, last year he lost his Best Kisser award to Emilio Estevez. I'd like to know who's giving either of them an award. This year he vows to get his title back, so get your lips ready because he's doing some kissing. Anna looks disturbed. Ten looks hungry. And Colt holds an empty bottle in front of Silver's face so Silver can practice kissing the bottle. <sighs> Colt's resolution is to get his dad gimmick over. Colt, I know a guy. He's the king of dad style. Just thought I'd throw it out there. I get nothing for the Scotty Slade reference, really? All right, Anna's, uh, Anna's resolution is hopefully be nicer to Stu. Stu's resolution starts by mentioning bullying until Anna cuts him off, so Stu quickly says he's going to stop throwing himself into walls and tables. <laughs> <laughs> Who's bullying you? Who's bullying you, Stu? Uh, nobody, but I'm totally going to stop throwing myself into walls and tables. That's my resolution. Um... Evil Uno. Let's talk about Evil Uno for a second. Okay. Evil Uno's resolution is to wrestle Jim Duggan. Good luck oh, with that. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm telling you, I would not be surprised if Jim Duggan makes an appearance on BT at some point. No. Now, if he gets beat up by Evil no. Uno, I'm totally cool with that. Or, what if... Colt dresses up like Jim Duggan and then Uno beats him up. Pins him clean in the mill. I'll take it. Alex Reynolds is next. No, thank you. And says his resolution is to come up with a new catchphrase. They tentatively decide on hot dog? I'll pencil it in. It's just giving me flashbacks to Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. <laughs> Ten says the past few months he's kind of developed a habit. No shit, you don't say. <laughs> he thinks he's going to put that habit down. He immediately snorts a line. <laughs> so much for putting that habit down. Uh, five's resolution is to be cooler. They make fun of him. But Colt says, you know what, Five? I think you're cool. Aww. Thanks, Dad. Uno lets them know it's almost midnight and they should count down. They count down using their Dark Order numbers. Cutler apparently says nine, because it was the cameraman who said it. Colt says eight. Anna kindly fills in for Dustin and Sean Waltman and says seven and six. Five says five. Four is Silver, three is Reynolds, two is Stu, and Uno is, of course, one. 
Happy New Year! For no fucking reason, or just the weirdest reason ever, Hangman pops up from behind a curtain. Yeah. He's like... He shows up on the side of the room. Mind you, the camera's been on that curtain the whole time, so Hangman's been behind that curtain this whole skit. Uh, Hangman says, guys, you know it's December 27th, right? Oh, shit, that's why no one showed up. They ask Hangman how long he's been behind the curtain, and he guesstimates seven days. They all blame... (laughs) (laughs) They all blame Five, and even Cole turns on him. They're like, nope, no, I thought you were cool. Never mind. Five begs them to come back, but they leave, and then Hangman re-enters from behind the curtain to leave as well. We go back to real time. This is my favorite part. We go back to real time where the Dark Order are kicking the shit out of Vive. Yeah. Colt, for some reason, is trying to take his shoe off. I wrote down possibly my favorite line of this entire episode. Get bent, pizza dick. <laughs> Oh, that is great. Is that when they were kicking the shit out of him? Yeah. Oh, my God. Pretty sure. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good stuff. Sure. Yeah, Ben Pizza dick. Oh, my God. All right. So, kind of an okay segment from the Dark <clears throat> Order. Um, the ending made it for me. I love the ending of it. Yeah. Um. Well, we will have to see. There's there's some things the Dark Order will be involved in, I feel like, in the next couple of weeks, and we'll, we'll kind of see where they go from here now. Uh, one of them is Hangman Page, and I think everybody would be all about that. But I think Hangman... Uh, we'll get to it later. Okay. We'll get there. Next, Private Party, you're chilling in the bathroom. I still <laughs> don't know why. And then Matt Hardy shows up. <sighs> Moving on. Uh, um. My, uh, I wish I could, but uh, I have to explain this part or else the other parts don't make sense. Matt hypes them up and, of course, gives himself credit for all their cameo gigs. He asks, when when does he get his cut? They're like, what the fuck? Why would you get our cameo money? Surprise, it's in the fine print of their contract. Oh, that evil Matt. Matt gets 50% of all the third-party revenue. It's in the contract. You signed your soul away. Matt reminds them that he is giving them the rub, so they better understand that it's because of him they're having success right now. He then tells them they can square up later. Then we see Griff Garrison in the hallway when someone comes up from behind him and covers his eyes with their hands. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Chris Statlander. Garrison is pleasantly surprised, but then she says, I'm going to abduct you. And she snatches him in a headlock and drags him away. I'm assuming to have alien sex. I laughed. (laughs) It made me laugh. Oh, by the way, Lance Archer is sitting on a crate in the background and looks up when Statlander drags Griff away. So, next week, I'm assuming Lance will be snatched up. 
Everybody has alien sex. <laughs> uh, next we go to the EVP lounge where Matt complains it's messy. Kazarian says it smells like a bum's nutsack. <laughs> Uh, Matt goes through all the shit in the room, of course, makes it messier. Frankie says he's looking into anger management and shows Nick his phone, which has the poster for the movie Anger Management. <laughs> Matt Hardy shows up and comments that it's a disaster in here. Hardy then asks if the Bullet Club is back, and they say it's complicated. Hardy says they deserve a bigger room. Hi. What? Why? Why'd you have to go and make things so complicated? <laughs> well, it's not the bucks that made it complicated. Anyway. Acting like you somebody else gets me frustrated. <laughs> uh, Hardy says that they deserve a bigger room and they've let too many dark match guys run amok in here. Hardy claims he has invested in Daly's place and he has a great room for them. They follow him because why not follow Matt Hardy? He's been proven you know, nothing but loyal and nice the past few weeks. Um, they bring him into a huge EVP room, complete with two bathrooms and a hand sanitizer station, landline, TV, fridge, the works. Landline. This thing's got cable. <laughs> Nick asks, what's the catch? Well, of course, they have to sign a contract. They sign because they're dumb. They sign because they're dumb, and then they speak the joke directly into camera. Oh, I hope this doesn't come back and bite me in the ass. Because <laughs> apparently we're all dumb, too. They leave, and apparently that was the coach's room. Uh-oh. Arn's going to be pissed. But the Bucks don't care because they have the key. They hope this won't come back to bite them in the ass. <sighs> then we see Griff escape the evil clutches of Statlander. She swears and then says into her Apple Watch that human test subject experiment one failed. She has a curling iron in her hand, so I can't wait for her next gimmick. Chris Statlander, alien hairdresser. We then see Cutler walking in the hallway and he passes Matt Hardy. Matt calls him Brandenburg because he's on a winning streak. Ugh. Hardy says the only thing that's holding him back is he needs to beat someone besides the J-Brones on Dark. Matt says he can help him if he beats Luchasaurus. That's right, folks. The dragon versus the dinosaur. And if he beats Luchasaurus, he can be three contract cutler instead of two. Hit me with it, please. Give me the grill, Monsoon. Just stop. I don't even... It's not even worth that. Just stop. Just stop. All right. We then go to Silver and Reynolds. They discuss their recruiting strategies. And Reynolds says... I'm sorry, Silver, of course. It's always fucking Silver. He's just a kid. He's 29. He says they have to get someone who's like the baddest motherfucker on the planet. The the best in the world. The biggest dick in, in the industry. They want Sting. If Sting shows up on BTE, I might actually laugh. (laughs) 
They have to find Sting and get him in the dark water. I mean, he's already got the colors. I mean, you might as well. Is that wait, purple? It's still black and white. You don't have to have purple. You got a purple. Udo doesn't wear much purple. You know who they need? The Undertaker. I was going to say 94 Undertaker. Or 96. Or 95. <laughs> the one that fought King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania 11. Blech. All right, they take a dig at Triple H and WWE as John Silver picks up a sledgehammer and Reynolds is like, no, 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 put that down. Sting hates sledgehammers. <laughs> we go outside where Alex Abrantes follows a trail of Kool-Aid packets into a trap set by Dasha Ortiz and that other guy who I can never remember the name of. I wrote also who's fake Santana. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they trap him in a trailer and then salsa dance that, to celebrate. Is that Willie? Something is that like Willie? that. Something like that. I also wrote, why are they dancing? Also, why does this sound like it was recorded in a fridge? Yes. Um, all of a sudden, Alex screams something is going down his leg. I know it's going down his leg. Yes. There it is. Um, so Dasha knocks on the door and Jake Roberts answers. It is never a good idea to stick somebody in a trailer and lock the door with Jake Roberts. I'm just saying. Something's, something wrong is going to happen. Maybe they, they played 21. Well, he's got 22. She asks Jake if he's sure this will work, and he says it never fails. Jake says he should be fine. He hasn't lost anybody in a long time. We get a two hours later graphic. And Alex leaves the trailer. Hours later. Alex leaves the trailer, all happy-go-lucky, as if nothing fucking happened. Jake appears at the trailer door and says, trust me, he's fine. Jake gives us an evil laugh, even better than Million Dollar Man's. And we see in his hand is a bottle of purple Kool-Aid. You know what this means? Lance Archer to the Dark Order confirmed. <laughs> Did you happen to notice... When Alex Abrantes left Jake Roberts' trailer, there was a rubber snake just sticking out of the front of his shirt. I didn't know what was in the front of his shirt. I saw there was something in the front of his shirt. I had no idea what the fuck it was. It was just it was, a stupid rubber snake. It was a, it was a toy. It was a toy snake. Oh, for the love! Like, <sighs> we go to Luchasaurus, who's talking to Leva Bates when Cutler shows up. And Cutler picks a fight with them about the existence of dragons. Oh, a dragon! This leads to a match for next week's Dark. I guarantee you Cutler's going to win that match, and it's going to be just the worst. The worst. Then more Tarantino nun action. Nyla says she doesn't understand how this will help them. Vicky's like, just trust me. She tells Nyla to go hide. Captain Shandim comes around the corner. And Vicky turns into a con artist. And says that, uh, please, sir. Please, help the poor children. Donate some money. And then she chastises him for not donating enough. And then he, she somehow fucking manipulates him into donating all of his money for the children. Yeah. 
Vicky shows Nyla, who wants to give it a try. No, not, not somehow. She screams in his face until yes. he's like, fine, shut up. <laughs> Vicky shows Nyla, who wants to give it a go. Nyla... Funny, how going, funny how going through that doorway turned a crumpled handful of dollar bills into like six flat 20s or whatever. <laughs> this is true. Nyla goes up to a stagehand and says, donations, and then punches I, him in the I, face I, and takes the money. <laughs> I laughed at that. That was, that was, that was pretty good. Surprisingly, Nyla's not bad on BTE. The very couple times she's been on there, she's better than fucking Matt Hardy. All right, finally, I think I think anything's better than fucking Matt Hardy. Just ask Grubby. <laughs> Although apparently they've done it like millions of times because they've got four kids now. Huh. I'll ask Lita. Finally, John Silver is here with our number one contenders match. This time it's flip cup by elimination. The participants are Reynolds, Ricky Starks. Up, down, up, drink. <laughs> Reynolds, Ricky Starks, Orange Cassidy, 10, Captain Sean Dean, and some J Bro named Five. Cutler says he wants a shot at the belt, but Silver tells him it's a drinking game. And Cutler's like, oh, but I don't drink. So Silver says, good, you're the first one to eliminate. And everybody laughs, because nobody yes. likes Brandon Cutler. This is true. Sean Dean is actually eliminated first, and he's like, fuck this game. Fucking hate this game. Then Ricky Starks... His player card just went... Then 10, and it's down to Reynolds and Cassidy. Dude, Reynolds and Cassidy shoot tied. Yeah, so they should have just been a triple threat next week. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But instead, they 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 um, do a redo, and this time Reynolds wins. Silver and Reynolds square off, <laughs> and they do the classic like boxing or UFC square off where they like get their fists in each other's face. But the whole time, Reynolds just plays with his beard. <laughs> <laughs> next week, the BT Championship will be decided by beer pong. That should be fun. But but Brandon's too lazy and doesn't want to film tomorrow, so we're playing with caps or something. Ugh, I don't even know fucking know. <laughs> we go to the airport, and we see Nick Jackson chilling in, in a chair, and someone is sleeping next to him. Was that Brandon? That was Cutler. Okay, because he had glasses on, so I was very confused. It was glasses and the, and the COVID mask, and I'm like, I, in a hat. So I'm like, I think it's Brandon. This was just creepy to me. That's all this was. Yeah. Let's film him while he's asleep. Nick Nick makes fun and of him for being asleep for the past two hours in a chair. And then when they're actually at the terminal, Cutler falls asleep against a wall? <laughs> against a pole. <laughs> so let's make fun of a guy for narcolepsy? That doesn't seem nice. <sighs> Everybody sleeps. We end the episode, but because this episode needs to go on even longer, we don't end the episode. We rewind to Matt Jackson getting ready to go into his new room. Oh, surprise, the key doesn't work. Did you watch Southpaw Regional Wrestling? No. You never saw the Southpaw Regional Wrestling skits? No. This was basically a direct ripoff of that. Okay. Only instead of having um, Tyler um, 
fuck, what's his name? Breeze. Breeze. I don't want to say Tyler Bate, but I'm like, it's not Tyler Bate. Instead, instead of having Tyler Breeze being like, now I own your farm. Ha ha ha. It's just Matt Hardy being like, now I own you. Like, the fuck, man? This is the best. And I get it. It's more of a BT storyline. But this is the best creative you have is let's do a. It's not just a BTE storyline. <laughs> so what you're saying is Matt Hardy owns black people. <laughs> Sorry, if you, if you folks could have seen the look that just washed over Sal's face. I was like, what the fuck did he just say? Um, no, because he owns the box. So, so he started with black people. We're, we're on like a edge of a razor blade here. I don't want to keep dancing on it. Let's just hey, move yo. let's just move on. <laughs> okay. Dina Mate episode sixty eight. It's an even numbered episode, so it's your week to start, pal. It is. Welcome everyone to New Year's Smash Night Two. JR appropriately says it's Wednesday. You know what that means. Adam, you seem to have an issue with JR paying tribute to Brody Lee. <laughs> you fucking asshole. All I said before we started is that it was annoying that he was doing it because I had also written it down in our notes after we did the Brody episode recap, and now everybody's going to think that I'm stealing it from him, and it was my own goddamn idea. Well, anybody who's a fan of the Rundown Network knows that Triple H listens to the WWE Rundown and the NXT Rundown and steals ideas from them, and that Cody listens to this show. We've talked about it before. Cody, I'm still waiting for that $100 donation. And Cody steals ideas from us. So we gave Cody that idea, and he passed it on to JR. I'll take it. We get a promo package showing us the history of Eddie Kingston versus Pac. It involves a lot of... He's my best friend. He's my best friend. You don't need him anymore. He's my best friend. Match number one, Pac. Uh, by the way, the, the toss to this video, definitely not added in after the fact. <laughs> Match number one, Pac versus Eddie Kingston. Kingston comes out with his Triple B club. We get a quick Goldman box of Kingston saying he's not only going to beat Pac, but he'll send him back home and he'll never come back. Yeah. Yeah, well, they also showed us. They also remind us of the the family jumping pack and Penta last week when Phoenix was in the ring, uh, in a in in that pre tape that that was definitely live. Yeah. Pack comes out, storms the ring, immediately hits Kingston with a shotgun dropkick, sending him <laughs> out to the floor. Pack goes off the ropes and launches himself to the outside on top of Kingston with a twisting plancha. Pack screams something into the camera, but I have no fucking clue what it was. Pack continues to beat the shit out of Kingston while Phoenix and Penta keep Triple B at bay. Pack hits him with three. Sh- <laughs> oh no, Bunny was out there too. I'd say. Pack hits him with three straight pump kick- kicks to the face, followed by a shotgun missile drop kick. Pack then starts stalking Kingston. Kingston takes a swipe at Pack's leg, but it has no effect. Pack continues to knee Kingston in the fucking skull. Pack gets Eddie in the corner, but a back elbow followed by a kick to the mouth gives Kingston some much-needed separation. Kingston goes to the second rope and hits a jumping knee drop to the back of Pack's head. Kingston, Huh? 
Ouchie. Ouchie. Kingston kicks Pack to the outside where Bunny assaults him behind the ref's back. She then points and laughs at him because Bunny is 12. Not the Dark Order member, the age group. Kingston hits a shoulder capture suplex on Pack on the floor. Back in the ring, Kingston hits a neckbreaker for two. Pack fights back and they trade strikes until Pack hits a snap German release suplex. That was nice. Pack hits some yes kicks to Kingston's chest, but Kingston fires back with an insiguri and a backdrop suplex for another two counts. They fight in the corner, and Kingston goes for the second goes to the second rope again. But Pack hits him with a Garmin Gary to the face. Kingston sells this by giving the camera ouch that hurt look. <laughs> you see his cell on that? Oh, look at his face. I think he's really out of it. <laughs> he was like Wah. Pack climbs up top and after a delay, a delay, a delay, and another delay, he hits a huge superplex. He was up there for like ten minutes. I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> ten whole minutes. This also gets a two count. Pack goes back to kicking Kingston in the face and then hits him with his spinning back elbow in the corner. Pack goes to follow up, but Kingston jumps up and takes Pack down with a big clothesline. Kingston goes for a DDT, but Pack holds the top rope, so only Kingston hits the mat. Pack follows up with a basement dropkick. Pack drags Kingston to the corner and actually hits him with the black arrow for the win. I say actually because with the amount of people on the outside, I didn't picture Pack getting that move off. What'd you think? I enjoyed it. It was fun. I mean, I enjoy. I always enjoy a pack, uh, a pack match. Um, thankfully, this week the uh, buckles, ring skirts, turn posts, everything's back to normal. Not promoting some stupid talent show. Um, but no, I I really enjoy this. One thing I will say about Dynamite for me, typically they always set the pace really well in the opening match. Yeah. And this was this was no different. Um, it's nice that Pac won, but obviously we're not done because as soon as Pac got the win, he locked Kingston in the Brutalizer. Kingston then calls for help. (laughs) That's true. Kingston then calls for help. It was was weird. Help! Help me! (laughs) Butcher and Blade get in the ring, but so do the Lucha Bros. They square off as Kingston scurries under Penta's legs to run away. <laughs> then Lance Archer's music hits. The murder, the murder hawk monster charges the ring and the heels powder. Jake waddles his way down behind Archer in what can only be described as snake print pajama outfit. That's what I got. Jake then tries to get in the middle of Archer and Pack for no fucking reason, because they weren't even <laughs> talking. And then quickly changes his mind. And then quickly changes his mind. Archer tells Pack to get on the same page and then leaves. Like Adam Page or Dallas Page or like Page. Page here. <laughs> I'm assuming this is we're gonna get a six man. We're gonna get the Death Triangle versus the Family. Maybe Jake fights Bunny, gives her DDT. I don't know. <laughs> All right, we go to the commentators who hype up tonight's card. Darby defends the TNT title against Brian Cage. Serena Deeb defends the NWA Women's World Title against 
Ty Conti. Ty Conti. I just fucking spit all over my new microphone. The Elite will be in action as the Bucks team with Omega and Six-Man action. That's what they fucking told us. They just said, the Elite in action. Also, Jungle Boy and Jungle Boy Mini take on FTR. And it's the Dynamite debut of The Waiting Room with special guest Cody Rhodes. Also, also, the Inner Circle gives us their New Year's resolutions. But up next, Chuck Taylor, the Kentucky Fried Gentleman, versus Miro. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Uh, here comes Chuck. Here comes Break. Enter Miro and we return. Kip is carrying a cutout of Trent with KT tape on the left shoulder and X's over the nipples. Weird. Well, he tore his pack, so... His, his chest is now, so he, uh, it's like so Battleship. He, so he lost his nipples? <laughs> now it's going to be Trent, question mark? Nipples, nipples question mark? mark. <laughs> uh, Chuck takes it to Miro, immediately knocking him to the floor and running him into the stage repeatedly. Uh, Miro rolls into the ring and immediately back out of the ring, and Chuck nails a somersault tope. Uh, Miro into the barricades. He fights back and pushes Chuck into a ring post, but Chuck avoids the charge, and Miro hits the post himself. Uh, Chuck comes off the apron with a double stomp. Miro back in the ring. Chuck goes up top. Kip pushes Orange into the barricade, so Chuck kicks him in the face. Uh, Miro then takes over. He drops Chuck with a thrust kick, then makes him tap to game over, or whatever he calls the accolade now. That was sudden. Dude, Chucky T got his ass kicked. Yeah. As I pred- predicted last week, Chuck is now Miro's young boy until ble- Bleach... Bleach blast in three weeks. Uh, excuse me? It's his butler. The stip yeah, was, they, they, he will have to be his butler. They said young boy last week. Yeah, but that has connotations, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess, sure. I mean, after the, after the match, Miro drags Kip away like a... I don't know, bad scene out of a fucking cartoon or something. And Orange Cassidy's just in the ring, like, staring at him, like, Oh, no. Chuck Taylor's yeah. gone. Miro yells at Orange, drags Chuck to the stage, and yells at Orange some more. And they go to Dasha and Hardy Party. <sighs> Dasha asks Party what it means now that Matt is officially their manager. Isaiah tries to talk, and Matt says no, he speaks first. Matt Hardy owns black people. Uh, he then tells them to talk. Isaiah is excited. Quinn is still mad about the contracts. Quinn calls Car- Hardy a money-grubbing carny, or money-grabbing carny, and Hardy gets upset. He says he's the only one who cares about them. He yells at them, and we go back to the ring. In real life, I feel like that is an accurate statement. For a guy who's <laughs> made a shit... He's a money-grabbing carny? Yes. For a guy who's made a shit ton of money in this business, why is he in AEW? Just to make a shit ton more money. I he, wish he wasn't. He is a money-grabbing carny. Speaking of people I wish weren't in AEW, went to the Inner Circle, and the only good thing about this stupid sing-along is getting to see my friends Ashley Vox and Davey on the crowd. To break oh, yeah, up. right? Jericho explains the segment. Hager screams, championships, yeah, and nothing else. Hager is brick from Anchorman. <laughs> Jake Hager, do you got a resolution? Championships. MJF says he wants to strengthen his bonds with the group. 
Lies. And get rid of fat people. And get rid of fat people. That was funny. Ortiz wants to learn to cook. Jericho wants to make sure everyone gets COVID since it's not all that bad. Uh, he also wants him and MJF to win the AEW Tag Team titles. Uh, Santana takes umbrage at this since X-Lax is, is the tag team in the inner circle. Sammy calls Jericho a tag team slut. MJF comes to Jericho's defense, and Jericho proposes a three-way dance next week to decide who the official tag team of the inner circle will be. X-Lax versus Douchebags versus Sammy Hager. Sammy apparently doesn't know who Sammy Hagar is. MJF hits the catchphrase. They finger blast us, and thank God that's over. Okay, so we got to get to a couple things through here. First of all, uh, during the sing-along, Kylan King was shown in the crowd wearing a red leather jacket. Red hair, red leather jacket. I, what, did somebody hit the select button on the start screen of the character select? <laughs> it's like her alternate color, her color swap. Anyway, um, so here's the thing. I thought MJF was entertaining in this promo. Mm-hmm. But Sammy's not wrong. Like, Jericho's started three tag teams just within the inner circle. Mm-hmm. Lasex gods, and then Jericho and Hager were supposed to be a thing. And now he's going to team with MJF. And I don't blame Santana kayfabe-wise for being like, dude, what the fuck? We're supposed to be the next tag champs. Me and Ortiz. But I have a bad feeling that uh, Jericho and MJF are going to win. And this is so fucking stupid. Ever since MJF has wanted to join the Inner Circle and we've done this whole storyline, the only people the Inner Circle are fighting are each other! Mm-hmm. Why did they just break up? <laughs> I don't... I don't... I did agree with Sammy. I mean, I did like Sammy Hager. I thought that was good. Marvez is with the Dark Order. He wants to know what's next. Uno dedicates the future of the Dark Order to Brody next week. Hangman Page teams with them again, and they drag him in from just off camera. Again, hanging out just off screen. Uh, John Silver loves Hangman. Alex apologizes for John's fanboying, and Alex asks Page uh, when he's going to let them know if he's joining. Page agrees to let them know next week after the match. Alex Marvez is still standing awkwardly in the back. We go to break. So I wrote, John Silver... Greater than sign, Alex Marvez. Yep. Also, that's a nice little hook that they they got there. Like, oh, you're gonna let us know after the match if you're in the dark order or if you're not. So they hooked me. I want to see what he says. He's not. Vote now for the first ever AEW Dynamite Awards at AEWAwards.com. According to the website, the awards are streaming free on Bleacher Report on January 27th, 7 p.m. Eastern. Time out. If he's not then he's instantly going to be feuding with the Dark Order. And I don't think that's good for either of them right now. Because the Dark Order are default baby faces to the T. So you're going to put them against Hangman? Do you know what I mean? There's a chance he says yes next week. I don't think they have to feud with him if he says no. I don't think I'd be wicked pissed. When has the Dark Order not been pissed (laughs) when somebody rejected their... You know, especially this type of of recruitment. I mean, they've been at Hangman for, like, months when you really think about it. We'll see. Uh, Later tonight, Alan takes on Cage, so let's watch a video about that. Dasha is then backstage with Omega, Callus, and the Bucks. The band is back together, but Callus suggests that the Bucks really do deserve their own entrance. Can't take any shine off the champ, you know? Enter Kenny. The Kenny facts aren't that impressive this week, sadly. 
not in the least. Um, although, the fact that, uh, what did Kenny's, one Kenny fact I thought was it, it's been 144 days since he's teamed with the Elite. Surprise, that streak's going to continue. Mm-hmm. All right, so match number three, I wrote down the Elite versus the Jobbers. Yeah, they were already in the ring. So, before the match starts, we got a back backstage with uh, Kenny and the Bucks and uh, Don Callis. And everybody's so excited. The, the band is back together. And Callis says, um, well, first of all, Kenny's like, are we going to do the thing? Are we going to do, you know, our lead entrance? And Callis is like, you know, okay. Kenny, Kenny, these are the young bucks. They deserve their own entrance. Let them do their thing, and uh, we'll see you guys out there. So, of course, Kenny comes out first with the massive amounts of entrance that Kenny has. And then Don Callis gets in the ring. Don Callis hypes up the tag champs. He gives them one hell of an introduction. He says that they're Kenny's best friends the yeah, good brothers, and I'm instantly annoyed. <laughs> the fuck? Are you kidding me? And he has done his job. So okay, yes, he has done his job. But here's why I'm annoyed. I'm not annoyed that the good brothers are in this match. I'm annoyed that for one week we got the whole the elite, the band is back together, the Bucks are, are with Kenny and and Gallows and Anderson. And then within just a week, we already blew it up because they've already fucking turned on the box. Like, you can't just, like, show up next week and be like, ha, 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 Matt and Nick, I was just kidding. Friends, too sweet. You can't do that. I think they've already killed it now. The Bucks are not with Kenny. And maybe that, I guess that was their game plan is that, no, we're going to kill that off real quick, but that's stupid. You could have let it drag out until fucking um, New Year's Revolution. Yeah, but then we had... Well, we'll talk about what happened at the end of the show. At the end of the show. Yeah. All right. Whatever. Oh, by the way, they got me. Because I totally didn't see that coming. I did not see Gallows and and being Kenny's partners tonight. So... Mm. The jobbers, by the way, are the Santa Clara Blondes and Danny Limelight. <laughs> the not-so-elite attack them and beat the shit out of them. The world champion wastes time selling for Danny Limelight just so Gallows can interfere. And then the blondes isolate Kenny. Danny Limelight tags back in and goes off the ropes and gets kicked in the back by Gallows. This allows Kenny to kind of, sort of hit a Katara Crusher. Is the Katara Crusher supposed to be driven with Kenny's arm or with Kenny's leg? Because he misses the leg part Every time. <laughs> uh, Kenny tags out. Carl Anderson beats on Limelight as Shivani takes shots at Impact, and we go to box. We got our first box of the night, and it's almost 9 o'clock. It's late. It's very it's We're late, match three. It's a late box. I'm not complaining. I was actually like, wow, there's no fucking box yet. Uh, during, during box, we get a shitty triple compactor, like the move that fucking Otis and Tucker used to do. And then they feel the need to replay it when we get back from break. 
Danny Limelight hits a step-up insecurity and tags out to Primlin Jr. The Blondes hit their version of the heart attack on Anderson. Did you just say Primlin? Pillman. Is that the new Brandon Suckster? <laughs> the Blondes hit their version of the heart attack on Anderson, but he kicks out because fuck yo finish. The not-so-lead hit a triple-team neckbreaker on Griff Garrison, but Limelight and Pillman Jr. break it up. Anderson drills Limelight with a spine buster, and then the club hit the magic killer for the win. That was kind of pointless. Yeah, I mean, it, it did what it needed to do. It got Kenny over as a shitbag. I thought they That's gave true. Limelight a hell of a rub here. Yeah, why? This is like when Angels fought fucking Kenny. That one time on Dynamite. Like, why did he do that for? Give guys who need it a rub, like Scorpio Sky. Ugh, whatever. Who? Yeah, exactly. Sean Spears? Who the fuck's that? Oh, he quit. All right. <laughs> so, actually, I put after the magic killer. Woo, who fucking cares? Does absolutely nothing for Kenny, and you burn the bridge with the Bucks one fucking weekend. Dumb. Which I just didn't agree with it. I agree that Kenny is a shitbag, but we've known that since Callis has been with him. So, you hammered home that point, I guess? I don't know. After that, Mox comes out from his favorite Vom. He gets in the ring, despite being out number three to one. And surprise, he gets his shit kicked in. But then the Lucha Bros make the save. You know why? Because the Lucha Bros are greater than sign the good bros. That's why. I don't laugh. Phoenix gets such height on that springboard that Gallows is just like, ah. <laughs> oh, there you are. Yeah. And then we, then we hear Tony Schiavone, of all people, Say the Lucha Bros are coming to the aid of AEW. Huh. Whose side is he on? Yeah. Where have I heard this storyline before? An invading um, outsiders from the company attacking uh, their former world champion. Anybody from the locker room, please help out WC. I mean, AEW. Just, I don't know. So familiar. Mox hits a paradigm shift on some producer and then hits a uh, tope on Omega. The Bucks then come out and try to play peacekeepers, I guess. Top, I think it was, it was either Tony or JR. Somebody hollered, oh, the locker room's clearing out. It was like four extras and Sean Dean. <laughs> um, so the Bucks come out to try to like defuse the situation, I guess. But they turn around and get super kicked by the Lucha Bros. Mm -hmm. So wait a minute. The guys from the locker room who are defending the honor of the company can't get along and the outsiders get away? I swear I've seen this someplace before. <laughs> uh, amidst the chaos, Omega and Callus slither out and escape through the heel tunnel. This, that at least proved Kenny was a shitbag, because he didn't even stay for Gals and Anderson. He was just like, come on, Don, let's get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Up next, it's the waiting room. Adam, I know you're excited. You must be so excited. This is the first time you're seeing the waiting room. We come back. Turgid with anticipation. We come back from break, and Reba Rebel is in the dumb dentist office set. Also, she's wearing bedazzled medical scrubs. She tells us the doctor will see us now. She then says some other stuff, but people, please, AW production staff, make those cue cards bigger so Rebel doesn't have to struggle to read them. Did you see her? She was like, and now your role model and mine, Britt Baker. Seriously? I think that's the point, though. Because she was doing the... She was doing the the awkward sidekick laugh too, which I enjoyed. To be to be completely fair, it, it was it was Conan. It was fine. Um, actually, my my problem with this segment had little to do with Brit and, and Reba. It had more to do with the set and yeah. the people that actually were invited to the show. Brit tells the audience to check under their seats for a big surprise. The audience slash Stark matchers uh, check, and there's nothing there. Ha ha ha! It's so funny. It works every time. It's all female, by the way. Britt takes a shot at her guest in his stupid neck tattoo. I don't blame her. Uh-uh. Reba, like you said, does the sidekick laugh. Finally, she introduces Cody, who comes out in a fucking ugly green suit jacket. What is that? <laughs> I wrote, I wrote, Cody's wearing a jacket he apparently won at the Masters. Yes, I was thinking that too. Uh, Don't forget the the pyro. Yes, Brit and Rebel hold up sparklers as he comes in so Brit can say, all contractual obligations are being held because they got their pyro. (laughs) Brit congratulates Cody on the baby. And then says the kid will have an action figure way before she ever does. Cody mm-hmm. does not deny this. He's like, yeah, probably. <laughs> <sighs> As I have mentioned in previous episodes of the AEW rundown, the set for the waiting room kit for the waiting room skit sucks. There's no place for Cody to sit or Britt because the couch is so fucking small that when Reba sits in it, nobody else can sit in it. And that's not a fat joke, that's just the way the couch is. Especially in these social distancing times. How's how's any of her guests going to sit on the couch? Britt asks Cody about the baby, but cuts him off to introduce a surprise! Ladies and gentlemen, what's behind door number two? It's Jade. <clears throat> door number two. Door number two. There's one door. True. And they both came through it. Okay. So how did he not know she was there? Listeners of the rundown, I, can, can I, I, I apologize. Right yeah, you know what? Please. Cargill steals Cody's mic and sucks ass. Oh, see, that's not what I wrote. What I wrote. <laughs> and again, listeners of the rundown, I apologize now. Brace yourself. Why the fuck? Fuck, are we continuing this bullshit if Brandy is fucking pregnant? Why do I have to have Jade Cargill on my fucking screen? 
And nobody cares about this fake feud with Brandy. Like Jade demands an opponent. And then says if Brandy ever returns, she's going to beat... Spacebar, spacebar, spacebar. That ass. She then pie faces Cody. Right. Then Little Cupcake shows up, and Little Cupcake is legit half the size of Jade. Yeah, so that's a thing again. <sighs> Jade pushes her, and then Red Velvet smacks her. And then they brawl, and a bunch of women try to pull them apart. Oh, look, it was everybody in the audience. Somehow this then cuts to a clip of Britt beating up Thunder Rosa. I was really confused at first. I was like, did did my yeah, that was did my DVR skip out? Like, what the hell? Yeah, I wrote, yeah. Then literally out of nowhere, we're showing Britt attacking Thunder Rosa from a week or two ago. Yeah, and then Britt talks over it, and she's like, yeah, show that clip, and then... That gets interrupted by Thunder Rosa in a pre-tape where Thunder Rosa says that Brit and her big nose like to get in other people's big business. But sooner or later, Brit has to actually wrestle. Apparently, that sooner is February 3rd at Beach Break. Now, Brit doesn't react too well to this. She completely flips out. She's like, Tony, you said I wouldn't have to fight Thunder Rosa. They show the match graphic on the big screen, and Britt loses her shit and then cuts off her own show, screaming she's not doing the match. She's absolutely doing the match. And uh, I look forward to it. What do you think of uh, the waiting room? Is there a better way to phrase steaming pile of dog shit? I thought you said you enjoyed Britt Baker in this segment. I enjoyed Reba. See, I enjoyed Britt I enjoyed, in different I enjoyed, parts. I enjoyed the doofus psychic lab. I enjoyed Britt taking shots at Cody and kind of the way AEW treats the women's division. But what's annoying about that is if you're if you're scripting that into your segments, then you know what everybody's saying about you, and you still choose to do nothing about it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, we know we suck at booking our women. We're going to put that front and center in this segment. Mm-hmm. That's not a good look. And like I said, if Brandy's pregnant, who the fuck says she actually ever comes back to act to wrestling? Like, nobody knows what's going to happen after you're pregnant. And who knows when she would come back to wrestle. Like, I don't understand why. Because because they signed Jade, so now they have to have a reason for her? No, that's okay. You can terminate someone's contract. I'm good with that. They signed a fitness model who's jacked. How very WWE of them. Who, who, Who would do such a thing? Oh, by the way, who can't talk and doesn't know how to say more than two words in a promo. I'm going to beat that ass. It's like she turned the card over and finished the sentence. (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) 
Henry crashed to Jurassic Park's entrance on FTR. In ADR, Excalibur talks about the PWI Awards. Marco starts with Dax, and Dax just shoves him around. Marco slaps Dax because he's stupid, and Dax beats the hell out of him. Dax tags in Cash. They double-team him. Big chop in the corner. Cash taunts Jungle Boy. Marco almost fights back but fails. Whip across. Marco wants a moonsault but gets caught. He gets the head scissor and fucks up a drop kick. He tags in Jungle Boy, and all four men fight. Jungle Monkey flips Marco into a Hurricane Rana that sends Dax to the floor. Jungle holds the ropes open for Marco to dive on them, then he dives on them as well. They pose, and we go to box. When we come back, it's Dax and Marco again. Dax trying to remove Marco's head and arm from his torso. Cash tags in, gets a spine buster for a two. Cash chucks Marco headlong into the buckle. Dax back in for a drop toe hold, elbow drop combo, a series of lateral presses, and a series of near falls. Cash back in, he locks on a gory special. Marco turns it into a sunset flip for two. Cash tags out. Marco drops out of a powerbomb and tags out. Jungle Boy is a house of fire, taking out Dax and Cash at every angle. Backstabber on Dax gets a two. Dax appears to have gotten one hell of a fat lip. He eats a Hurricane Rana off the top, but kicks out a two. Boy, Brainbusters Cash. Dax rolls him up for two. Marco tags in, and Jungle Boy just throws him onto Dax. Uh, Marco wants sliced bread, but Dax just throws him because he's tiny. Dax removes his elbow pad and clotheslines Marco's head off. Marco kicks Dax in the balls, gets the sliced bread, and covers him for two. The kickout sends Marco to the floor. Tully shoves Marco into the ring post, which gets Jungle Boy's attention. Cash takes him out, then tags in for the big rig and the three count. Thank God. I'm not going to lie. I laughed pretty hard when Tully shoved him into the steel post. To the ring post. <laughs> I was like, good! Good! Get him! Get him, Tully! Get him! Fuck him up! Fuck him up, Tolly. Fuck him up. Exactly. Uh, tonight, remember Allen versus Cage, but up next, it's Deeb versus Conti. So I'd like to give my comments on the uh, Jurassic Express versus FTR. No comment. So let's move on. <laughs> Dude, that was so fucking pointless. I just... Ooh, good. You can beat up Marco. First of all, Jungle Boy barely did anything. It was, uh, you know, there's so many people on this roster that they can't figure out how to use on TV. And FTR, who had a great summer and fall of 2020, this is what they're left with. Get your heat by beating up Marco Stunt. Wow. Impressive. Match number five for your NWA Women's World Championship. Ty Conti versus Serena Deeb. Ty, and for the record, I hate calling her that, comes out with Anna J. Although they enter through opposite tunnels. Did you see that? Conti came from the face tunnel, and uh, Anna J and the rest of the Dark Order came from the heel tunnel. Just saying. The Dark Order appear on stage in support. They ex- uh, bell rings. Ty Conti and Serena Deeb exchange holds. And Serena does her best to make Ty look decent. It's basically like, um, I don't know if you'll get this reference, but occasionally on Dancing with the Stars, like within like week one or two, they get some like really old dude or some comedian who has no coordination whatsoever, and they just dance around him. That's kind of what Serena Deeb did here. She just wrestled <laughs> around Ty Conti. 
afterwards, after the uh, hold exchange, Ty shoves Serena with the softest shove I've ever seen. What was that? <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. like, I, I noted that as well. I'm like, what the fuck, this fucking girl. Ty tries a spin kick, but Serena catches it, so Ty sweeps Serena's leg, kind of, but it also looked like she just fell over. This turns into a heel hook. Ty transitions into a calf crusher, but Serena counters into a, ver- a reverse chin lock. And then we get a test of strength because we're in world-class wrestling and it's 1982. Serena transitions into a wrist lock, but Ty has no idea where she's going, so she turns it the wrong way. They exchange submissions until Serena hits her with a basement clothesline for a two-count. They they trade quick pinfall attempts until Ty hits a pump kick on Serena. And Serena tumbles out of the ring. This leads to more box. Now, I will mention... I wrote that. I wrote, then Conti pump kicks deep so hard that she falls over as well. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I will mention that the striking is not that bad from, from Ty Conti. The problem is her transitions between moves and then the actual moves. Like... It's very difficult for her to execute anything other than basic shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it's not brandy bad, but it's not far. So, yeah. yeah. And it's a shame because I like Ty Conti. She's a she's a pretty girl. She's obviously very athletic. She has a judoka background, but. It's just not really... It doesn't look good. It, it looks like Serena Deeb is doing everything she can to try to help this girl out. And it's it, and it looks like Ty Conti's lost a little bit. like Just like deer in headlights. You know what I mean? Um, during box, Ty and Anna still steal the best friends gimmick and give each other a hug. Ty maintains control on Serena with some stiff knees and kicks. When we come back from break, Ty Conti hits a full Nelson stunner? That, what? Sure, Excalibur. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I don't think that was... Yeah, it was... It was weird. Yeah. It was a sloppy as fuck move is what it was. This somehow gets a two count. Ty tries something, but Serena counters into a stretch muffler. But Ty reaches the ropes... Later, Serena locks in a gory special while Ty County, well, Cobb County, <laughs> while Ty Conti is on yep. the top turnbuckle. Um, it's a weird spot because it doesn't look like it's being sold the right way. And then as soon as Serena breaks, um, Conti just goes right into a pump kick. And I'm like, ah. Uh, Ty Conti tries to pick up Serena for a Ty KO, but fails. Serena hits the detox? Really? That's that's what... Like, from the Strange Society? Okay, whatever. Serena hits the detox Mm -hmm. and retains the title. Yep. So that's a thing that happened. Mm -hmm. Well, I see you mentioned women to box. Women's match, half box. Yeah. 
I was hoping they weren't going to do it, because I'm like, oh, maybe this is the week I can write down that they don't do it. Nope. <laughs> nope gotta, gotta full screen that uh, ice fucker commercial. Fuck that train's called. Snowblaster? Snowpiercer, that's what's called. Well, to be fair, they had to edit around all of, of uh, Taekwondo's fuck up, so. <laughs> and that's what we were left with, so imagine what they edited out. Next week, the Inner Circle has a six man threesome. Matt Seidel and Top Flight take on Matt Hardy and Private Party. In a birthday celebration for Negative One, Silver, Reynolds, Colt, and Hangman take on Chaos Project and TH2. And Miro, in his new butler, plus Legit Layla versus Nyla. Also Moxley! But now it's main event time. And the FTW champion, JR, says he weighed in at 280. It was 272, and you know it. We return for the entrance of the champion. Taz has joined commentary. Will Hobbs isn't at ringside. Supposedly, this is a mandate from Tony Khan to keep things fair. So it's fine to have Starks out there and Taz on commentary, but Will Hobbs is just too much. Also, sure. Tyler was out there. Yeah, I didn't notice Hook until the end. Hook. Uh, the bell rings. Darby mm. charges. Hook. Hook my ass. Uh, the bell rings. Darby charges in with a drop kick to the knees. He sends Cage to the floor and then leaps on him, sending him to the barricade. He wants another toe pave. Cage catches him in a vertical suplex and suplexes him on the floor. Cage hurls Darby into the ring as we get a replay of the suplex. Darby slaps Cage and gets short arm clothesline. Cage then gorilla presses Darby from the ring through the timekeeper's table. Darby may have caught, his, caught the back of his head on one of the chairs. Don't know if you noticed that. He is bleeding. Cage hooks him for a vertical and then walks up the stairs to the ramp and throws him into the ring. That was impressive. Wait, was that Cage before flat- or after the table spot? That was right after the table spot. Okay, I think he was bleeding off the table spot. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Cage flapjacks Darby by the seat of his pants, then a charging uppercut in the corner, a kick to the head, and they release German. Cage beals Darby into the buckles, and thankfully he doesn't land on his neck. He does the same on the other side, and then just lays in some mounted punches to the champ. Cage tries to take Darby, who just collapses, and we go to box. We were Turn to full screen for a charging cage, but Darby gets the boot up. Darby leaps, gets caught again, gets F5, but kicks out at one. One. Brian Cage. Brian Cage. The massive man that Brian Cage is. Hold on. Hold on to that for a second. Uh, Triple powerbomb by Cage, and Darby flips him off, so Cage hoists him up again and powerbombs him onto the ramp. Darby flips him off again. Cage drags him to the ropes, and Cesaro suplexes him into the ring for another kick out at one go ahead this is fucking bullshit okay look when drew mcintyre did it i had an issue and drew mcintyre is fucking six foot ten 200 and fucking whatever pounds 180 pound darby allen the character seven seventy seventy 170 the way the character gets over is that he barely kicks out at two and in three quarters Oh, look at the heart of the champion. Yes. You got to make that shit as close to as fucking possible that people think it's the finish. You got to sell that 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 move. Kicking out at one is uh, against Brian Cage is the dumbest thing I've ever seen AEW do. Like are you <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Brian Cage, the machine. 
is going to beat Darby down so bad that Darby can kick out at one. I hated it. And they did it twice. So. 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 Yeah. Who better? Cage maneuvers these steps next to the ring and drags Darby to the apron. Darby fights out of whatever it was going to be. He drop kicks Cage, who hangs onto the ropes, so Darby bites his hand and Cage falls back. Uh, Darby then coffin drops onto Cage on the stairs. Darby returns to the ring at 7. Cage returns to the ring at 9. Darby with a series of slaps. Springboard nothing. Gets caught. Darby spins around and bites Cage's forehead. He removes his belt, hits a stun dog millionaire, then ties Cage's ankles together. Drop kick. Cage goes to remove the belt. Gets hit with a code red for 2. Shotgun drop kick by the champ, and Darby goes up top. Hook takes the ref. Starks pulls Darby crotch first on the buckles. The lights go out. The lights come on. Sting attacks Starks. Darby with a crucifix, and that's a three count. Uh, we get replays. Now it's snowing. Nothing else happens, and we go off. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's start with the logistics of the of the setup of the match. Um. Taz says on commentary that Tony Khan will not allow Will Hobbs at ringside because he'll only allow two members of Team Taz instead of all three. And the two members you choose are Hook and Starks. Why wouldn't you put the powerhouse Will Hobbs? So I'm immediately thinking... Why why can't you just tell us Will Hobbs isn't here tonight? (laughs) Which is what I thought. I was like, okay, Will Hobbs probably has COVID, so he's not here tonight. I'm sorry, but that's just the way people think now. Which is fine. Okay, Will Hobbs has COVID. That's it. He's not going to be here. But then he shows up. He comes out after the match. So I'm like, so I'm like, wait a minute. Will Hobbs was here the whole time. Okay, why didn't you just ban Team Taz from ringside altogether? Oh, because we have to get the Sting spot. Okay, fine. Can't you say only, um, only with only Starks is allowed? Only one person? No, because I want to get my son camera time. Are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, I, okay, just on that alone, you spent all this time trying to recruit Will Hobbs. They haven't done shit with him. Not one fucking thing. And as far as Tyler Sinertia goes. I don't need to see him on my TV. I don't give a fuck who Sonny is. He's he's not paid his dues in this business to be on cable television every fucking week in the main event. And all he does is wear a hood. That's all. He just wears a hood and he walks around and looks all mean. <laughs> his father can do that and talk at the same time. So then let's go to the match. Obviously, this is David and Goliath. And there were a lot of things I thought were fine, like Cage tossing Darby through the table and Darby coming up bleeding and all fucked up. I was fine with that. That was fine, because Cage is a powerhouse. Not the powerhouse, that's Will Hawks. But the kickouts at one, and then, yes, I understand Sting showed up and took out, you know, Ricky Starks. But the only thing that... Darby did at that point was a crucifix bomb onto Cage. That shouldn't be enough to pin Brian Cage unless 
after he hits the steps and Darby hits the coffin drop on the steps, Cage has to sell it like he just fucking broke his back. Like, if you if you sell me that, that that's the spot that Cage, like, got hurt or, like, got really fucked up, then I'll believe the finish. I just didn't think there was enough offense from Darby to get a pinfall on Brian Cage. Mm-hmm. It just seemed too easy. You know what I mean? I'm going to hit you with 65 power bombs and a fucking Cesaro suplex. You're going to kick out at one. You're going to hit me with one move off the second rope, and I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> oh, you used his weight, using that weight advantage against him. No, because he would just roll over. That's how they always break out of the fucking backslide. Also, yeah. and we talked about this, um, you brought this up a few weeks ago. What is Team Taz? What have they accomplished since they've been put together? Nothing. They've lost every title match they've ever been in, whether it was against Moxley, Cody, Darby. They've lost every single title match. They're the one entity in this company that has no claims of uh, in the tag division, which is rare. What's the fucking point? I don't... I... <laughs> I didn't mind this team when when it started with Cage and and Ricky Starks. Since then, you've added Will Hobbs. He does nothing. I like Will Hobbs, but he doesn't do anything. Give him something to do. And then Huck. Because that's not the most blatant neptism in this company. I don't know what it is. At least everybody else has had some type of wrestling training. Randy's is minimal, but still. Actually, the sad thing is I think Brandy has been trained a shitload, but she just doesn't fucking, doesn't register. <laughs> yeah, I said, it, I said it when Sting debuted. That, that match, which uh, Cody and Darby and who was it? Or was it just Cody and Darby? It was just Cody Versus and Darby. Hobbs and Starks? Cage yes. and, whatever, it doesn't matter. Hobbs and Starks, I think. The only that match was solely to get to Sting. Yeah. And in the process, they made Team Taz look like absolute dog shit. They beat the fuck out of them. They they got nothing. Team Taz got nothing back because as soon as they almost got something back, oh the lights went out. When the lights came back on, they were fucking gone. Yep. This so, so heels need heat. That's been a, a, a staple of wrestling for decades. Heels need heat. You need to hate them. They need to do something that makes you hate them. At this point, Team Taz needs to kidnap Sting and put him <laughs> put him in a fucking magician's trunk and stick a bunch of swords in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they got to do something to get the heat back because they have been outclassed, outmaneuvered, outgunned. At every who, turn, who would be who would be in the shiny dress as the assistant? Would it be Starks or Hook? Hook. <laughs> Taz could be the rabbit in the hat, <laughs> and Brian Cage can can be the magician. What's oh, Hobbs? Uh, the security. 
I just Hobbs Hobbs is the guy they pull out of the audience. Now we've never met before, have we? Yeah. No. Now, mind you, I like Darby as TNT champion. I wish he would defend the belt more, and maybe he will now. Um, I've got a whole list of opponents he could he could take on. But that's the thing. As, as much as I didn't like Cody, at least when Cody had the belt, that title was on TV every week and made to feel like a big deal. Of course it was. It was Cody. Well, but now Cody, but no, now Cody doesn't have the belt, so who gives a shot? Shouldn't they? It's the TNT title. It's your network's title. It's the title you're promoting as the second best title in the company, or I'm sorry, on par with the world title. <sighs> yeah, but that's not good. That doesn't draw business. If you bury your own championships, how does that make your company money? How does that get people to buy your fucking pay-per-views? <sighs> okay, that's the other thing we need to talk about. This episode of Dynamite kind of seemed really all over the place. There were some things I liked, like the Eddie Kingston um, pack match and feud. It seems like you know that might be almost over, and, and we're kind of hitting the the apex on that. But there were other things that I questioned about: why is this guy doing this? Why is this person not doing this? So typically. For years in the WWE, the timeline went, the Royal Rumble gets us on the road to WrestleMania. We have these awesome, crazy, amazing matchups or, or stories to get to WrestleMania. And then post-WrestleMania, we hit the reset button, we throw a bunch of new storylines at you that will culminate at SummerSlam. For years, that's been the formula, Right? For better or for worse, right? And then after SummerSlam, in the past few years, typically what we notice is a really big lull, where the product sucks. Where mm -hmm. you get Daniel Bryan versus Randy Orton, and the title's held in abeyance. Okay? This feels like that lull. Like, well, the next pay-per-view isn't until the end of February, so who gives a fuck what we do for the next five weeks and then we'll heat it up in February. You know what I mean? Like, this feels like they're they just throwing shit against the wall. They don't have any fucking direction or anything. Yeah. Yeah. We got, we got two hours to fill. Yeah, but what you shouldn't be filling time. You should be trying to entertain. Like, they keep hyping Beach Break. Should I not watch Dynamite from now until February 3rd? Is it going to suck? Like... <laughs> Like next week's card, is it real? Oh, oh, the inner circle will fight amongst themselves in a triple team tag match. What? You should have just broke them up. <laughs> I don't know. And then we get another eight man tag, and I get it, it's the dark order, but yeah, it's Brody's birthday present. Oh, also, this is the story that's that that's going to get us through the month of January. Miro has a butler. <laughs> the only way that would be good is if Miro's butler was um, a small robot girl and they made Chucky e. T that robot girl. You've never seen Small Wonder? No? Okay, fine. It was more the they make Chucky e. T that robot girl. <laughs> 
As long as Chucky pisses in the tea, we're all awesome. That's true. All right, let's move on to the news this week. Uh, during a recent chat with pro wrestling junkies via Fightful, AEW wrestler Chris Statlander offered an update on her rehab for her recent knee injury. As you mentioned earlier, she's been making appearances on BTE. She said, quote, uh, it's a very serious injury. I would say my knee is close to being healed, but it's such an extensive and long recovery process to make sure I'm ready to go. Sometimes it takes people up to a year to get back, but it's coming along for sure. I'm definitely pushing way harder than I need to be, but I do it because I know I'm going to come out stronger in the end. Uh, she suffered a torn ACL last June uh, uh, and had to go undergo surgery in July. So she's making appearances on BTE. She's not uh, in crutches, not on crutches, or doesn't appear to be in a, a, a brace or a boot or anything like that. So um, I'm looking forward to her coming back. I I am I'm I'm cautious about when though. Because I've watched enough sports in my life to know that some people, they heal from an ACL, the tear was clean, they come back in seven, eight months, they're good. Other people have struggled after an ACL tear where, you know, they don't really get back to their selves for over a year. Sometimes it takes like, you know, 18 months for them to even show the same explosiveness they had from before. Now, it's not like she's a high flyer, so there shouldn't be that much um, as far as uh, mobility and, and explosiveness that she would lose. But And like you said, she's walking around on BTE, so that's a plus. I'm hoping, I'm hoping it, it's, it's sooner rather than later. I'm hoping, because that's the thing, she won't be back until she's comfortable and feeling like she was in the ring before she got hurt. So... Yeah. Even if we see her in BT, it just depends on, on how it's going when she's when she's in those ropes. So, all right, <clears throat> let's talk about COVID. Let's talk about COVID. This was kind of groundbreaking for AEW in a bad way. But there, go ahead. There's there's two COVID stories this week. Uh, first one being Nick Jackson. Uh, who revealed online uh, in an Instagram story uh, this past weekend uh, saying he came down with a virus in September. Uh, quote, crazy to think there's still COVID deniers out there in the world. More on that in a moment. I had a pretty bad case of COVID in early September that kept me bedridden for nearly three weeks. I couldn't taste or smell for two and a half months. At one point, my whole body had hives on it, and my doctor said that was definitely from COVID. Matt had to do the majority of the work in the matches once I returned safely because I couldn't catch my breath. My cardio is finally back, but it took months to finally feel like myself again. Let's protect each other and wear masks, unquote. Now, the other side of that coin. Uh, Can we talk about Nick Jackson well, first? Okay, sure. Because I got more. I'm going to go too far, go too far, but go ahead. I got a lot more vitriol for the second story. But for, for, for <laughs> Nick Jackson, okay, this is very interesting because for most of 2020, Everyone from Meltzer to the little stands online were crucifying the WWE for not being more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, forthcoming with the information about anybody who got uh, COVID in 2020. Uh, oh, the WWE's trying to hide it. Uh, AEW's out front. They don't hide anything. Bullshit. Okay? First of all, AEW has hid COVID every chance they had. 
They've never said that QT Marshall got it. They just hinted at it. And then um, Lance Archer says he had it, and then he completely immediately takes down that post and says, no, I was around somebody who had it. So I don't know why, but for some reason, uh, Tony Khan has made it actually uh, top priority to keep these things hidden. Now, I'm not somebody who believes that these um, positive tests should be public knowledge. I believe everybody's got a right to their own you know, privacy. But it's just so, like, jarring. Like, wait a minute, Nick Jackson, you had COVID? <gasps> we didn't hear about that. And also, that the timeline he gave, gee, was that the skit where we saw a leg that was supposed to be Nick Jackson, superkick Marvez, right? Remember when Matt and Nick did the double superkick, but it was like a leg off screen? Is that why they super kick Tony? Because Marvez was them knocking on the door. Or no, Marvez was knocking on the door and they opened it and grumped and then he got super kicked. No, it was someone else. Tony, I think you're thinking I think you're thinking of Tony when he was interviewing FTR and the, the feet just came in from off screen. The feet came in from off screen. That's probably when Nick that that probably is the timeline of when Nick was out. Now, first of all, I feel bad that Nick got it that bad and he had hives all over his body and shit like that. But I just think it's so amazing that Meltzer, everybody else wanted to crucify the WWE. They need to be transparent. They, We need more transparency. They're hiding shit. Dude, AEW's doing the exact same fucking thing. Now, Nick Jackson started this post about COVID deniers. Go ahead. Go on to story number two. <laughs> <sighs> In the latest episode of Talk is Jericho, Chris Jericho, uh, conservative fuck waffle, announced that he also had COVID-19 in September, but he was asymptomatic. He said, quote, it's interesting because I hadn't really told anyone this, but I tested positive back in maybe September and I had zero symptoms. Why wouldn't you have told anyone? Uh, I'm one of the ones you said. I had my 10 days in isolation and stayed away from everybody. I didn't even know that I had it. I went and got a test just in general, and it's one of those ones that said you're positive. I went, really? You're serious? And I had nothing. I didn't have a headache. I didn't have a cough, which I guess is a very lucky thing. But on top of that, once I did have it, no, it wasn't a false positive because I took three different tests, and they were all positive, but now I have the antibodies, unquote. So we looked back. You looked back. Yes. Uh, Jericho was on every episode of Dynamite in September. Yes. That aired in September. Uh, you know, of course, they are doing this, uh, the, the, the current uh, Roy's War taping schedule. Right. So I didn't include but, uh, the September 2nd show because I figured that was taped in August. And he said, I got it in September. So, you know, I purposely didn't include that in my research. Troy was able to confirm, confirm that he did, in fact, appear on the September 2nd show. So we're talking at least six straight weeks where he was on every fucking episode. Now, apparently, given their film schedule, um, it's so conveniently he tested positive. Like, the day after tapings, was in quarantine for 10 days, and then was able to make the next tapings. Do you believe him? I mean, I, 
I don't know why this why you would lie about something like this. And I can I can see him because you know this was just after Sturgis and we've talked about that plenty in the past. Um, he seems like the kind of guy who would take that and use it as a, we'll see it ain't so bad it's not so bad I didn't have anything. But it's a weird it's a weird situation. So, so yeah, they taped on they 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 taped on the eleventh and then we're back on the. 23rd, I think, is it? And so if he tested positive like on the 12th and quarantined until the 22nd, then he was fine. Uh, apparently, if you're asymptomatic, you can quarantine for just 10 days as opposed to 14. But it's a whole fucking weird thing. See, okay, so there's a couple of things here. First of all, it's very interesting that he got it right around the same time that Nick Jackson got it. Because Fuck Waffle also did the Sturgis rally prior to that. So, he participated in a super spreader event, and yeah, Jericho was asymptomatic. Good for him. Nick wasn't. Nick was in bad shape for a while. Now, he didn't say he was on death's door, but I find it very interesting that in the exact same week, Nick Jackson takes a shot at COVID deniers, and at the end of his post... He says, let's protect each other and wear masks. And Jericho completely does the opposite. He's like, I had nothing. I didn't have a headache. I didn't have a cough. Um, oh, and now I have the antibodies. Like, So Jericho may be changing his story. Is there some flack on Twitter now that instead of just being tested in general, he said somewhere that it was a family friend he'd been in contact with tested positive, and that's why he got tested himself, but... Wait, 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 wait. I thought in AEW they tested every single wrestler before every taping. So why would he just get tested in general? What not there a schedule where they get tested frequently? That's what Matt and Nick Jackson told me. That's what Cody told me. That's what Tony Khan told me. So are they bullshit? Like, you know what's really interesting? If, if Jericho was around that family friend and he shows up to Daly's place on the 11th, and they're like, have you been around anybody who's had symptoms of COVID? I can totally picture him being like, no. And then he goes and wrestles, and then two days later he gets tested, and it's like, oh, hey, look at that, I tested positive. Knowing damn well if he tested on the 11th, he would have popped on the 11th. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a very good chance that he fucking lied his way through all of this. Which is how this virus is spreading, because people aren't protecting each other, they're not protecting themselves, and they're not telling the fucking truth. Also, Jericho is not immune anymore. If he had it in September, that only lasts like 90 days. So, he can get it again, and he could actually get symptoms this time, but, you know, he doesn't believe in it. Anger. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I never want to wish somebody gets a very um, bad case of the virus, because I've heard so many different stories about what it does to you. Um, this is the first time from Nick Jackson's story that I heard about hives. Like, that's... <laughs> um, 
I can say that um, when Nick Jackson says, I couldn't taste or smell for two and a half months, that's a thing. <laughs> and it sucks. <laughs> so... But that's okay, Chris Jericho. You keep spreading it around. Because it's not a big deal. Idiot. Do you want to talk about your experience, or do you want to edit this line out? No, I mean... John Van Rick has talked about his, and I don't mind briefly mentioning it on here. It's back in right after Thanksgiving. Um, I was sick with what I thought was just a normal sore throat because... If anybody knows me and my history, um, I always get sick this time of year. It's like clockwork. I've always had nasal problems. I've always had congestion. It's all I, like cocaine. I did not have a fever. I did not have a headache. Notice, notice how I didn't deny the cocaine. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, there was no cocaine. So, but the problem is, is that I started noticing things like my sleep was really fucked up and I was just, you know it turns out I I scheduled a test and yeah I tested positive for the virus and thank god I had mild symptoms because not only did I test positive I actually tested positive because other people in my house tested positive and it spread through this house like a virus. Who would have thought? Virus? <laughs> um, thank God I didn't have I didn't have it that bad. But my my sleep schedule was all fucked up. I couldn't sleep at night. I was exhausted during the day. Um, I had a pretty bad cough for a couple weeks, and you know since then, all my symptoms have have. Um, what's the word where it like basically goes away but like you know what I mean sufficed or, I don't know I don't think that's a word <laughs> in general so all my symptoms have, have, have gone they're, they're all gone except the fact that I can't smell anything to this moment I can't smell anything which is fucking weird because I didn't notice that, that until my daughter said that to me, my oldest daughter. She was like, I have, I can't smell my candles anymore. And I'm like, wait a minute, can I smell stuff? And I'm like, huh, changing the cat litter and I don't smell anything. That's not good. <laughs> and yeah, and there's no, you know, I have to, I've talked to my doctor. I have to wait. I have to wait and see what happens. And only after like four or five months, there's some treatments they might try, but it's like, Nothing's guaranteed, and what the fuck? Again, I've never had good, you know, I've always had nasal problems anyway and science problems, but not being able to smell that good compared to not being able to smell at all, two different things. Yeah. So, it's fucking, you know what? I'm, I'm glad it was mild, but it's fucking scary shit, man. It's fucking scary yeah. ass shit. Yeah. We've we've had a couple of scares in the house, but nothing. But no one's actually come down with it. So, so I 
consider us very lucky in that in that respect. I think the so. worst part when I had it was that when I first got tested and it came back positive, what they told me was, if you spike a fever, you're going to want to go to the hospital. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. Holy shit, if I spike a fever, I'm going to die. Because all I could think about was all the stories they tell you on the news about the hospitals are overcrowded, there's not enough ventilators, um, you have a 90% chance of dying if you end up in an ICU for COVID. Like, no, God, no. What do you mean? You mean I could develop a fever? Like, what? <laughs> so then you're paranoid and you sit around and you check your temperature every hour. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was on, when I was on chemo, they were like, if you get a fever, you need to come in. Because you know, because it zaps your white blood cells, and I had a I had a pimple or something on the back of my neck, and it, I had an itch. And I was just scratching it, and apparently I caught the pimple, and I, I, I went hard way, bro. Um, <laughs> and I got infected because it was because oh, it was an open wound because it was because it was an open wound on the back of my neck, and I had no white blood cells. And all of a sudden, I was just like, I feel like. Yeah, and I went home from I was I was working and I went home from work and I had like a like, temperature was like 101, and so Emily was like, "We're going to the hospital." I was in I was in the hospital for like uh, for four days, four or five days, oh just God. because just out of just out of precaution, just out of caution because it went okay. away, it went away out of after like the first day. Did they have to give you antibiotics because you got an infection? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they you know, I was hooked up to to a to an IV the entire time. Uh, I ended up getting a sebaceous cyst, which then had to be cut out of the back of my neck. Oh my god! It was very fun because I was awake. Um, and then I had a hole. I still have a, I still have a little, a little bit of a divot, but I had a hole in the back of my neck. Holy and Emily had to change. Emily had to change the dressings. See, that's that's the other thing. Weird. So the other scary part about the virus is anybody with pre-existing conditions could get it worse, might get it worse. It might interact with other stuff, some medication they're on, all this stuff. So I have many people with pre-existing conditions in this house. And yeah. and, and that was really scary because my father-in-law originally tested negative, but then my mother-in-law tested positive. So he got retested a week later and it came up positive. And that, that was scary because he's um, he has a very compromised immune system from chemo and from lymphoma. And as soon as he tested positive, I wasn't even worried about myself anymore. I was worried about like, Ma, did you check his temperature today? <laughs> like, right, right, right. Um, and then they say it's not even not even just that, but if something if you can if you can track something else, if you if you catch another virus, like all of a sudden your immune system can't fight anything. And then it was scary, man. It was really fucking scary. Um. And it's just, I feel like a lot of people right now are not taking it seriously because it's like, yeah, virus, I've already put up with it for a year. And it's like, no, this is why we're getting 7,000 cases a day in Massachusetts. <clears throat> and the deaths keep climbing. Like, this isn't something like, eh, I'm just going to ignore it. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't take this any less seriously than you took it in April. Because the second that you do, and the second that you don't think it's a big deal, the law averages says something's going to happen. 
You know, I was careful as much as I could be, but shit happens. Yep. So, right. so fuck you, Jericho, basically. Yes. That wraps up week 65 of the AEW Rundown. Follow us on Twitter at Rundown Network, at WrestleMania Sal, at Nitromania Pod. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Rundown Wrestling. Email us at RundownWrestling at gmail.com. Or leave us a voicemail at 617-863-6967. That is, of course, 61 Rundown 7. If you want to support us monetarily, you have a few ways to do so. You can always become a patron at patreon.com slash rundownwrestling. A dollar a month gets you early access to all kinds of fun stuff, all kinds of great episodes. Uh, and you can go up from there if you want. Uh, but 12 bucks a year just to show us that you appreciate us. And we appreciate you if you do that. Uh, if you want to make a one-time donation as opposed to a monthly commitment, go to paypal.me slash rundownwrestling or ko-fi.com slash rundownwrestling. Name your amount, hit the button, send us money. Uh, of course, you can visit uh, web, uh, rundownwrestling.com whenever you want for all the shows and updates and prediction polls and all that stuff, fun stuff there, or become uh, a Stitcher Premium member. I did this out of order. I don't care. Stitcherpremium.com, uh, stitcher.com slash premium. Promo code Rundown. Sign up for a monthly membership. $4.99 a month. Get your first month free with promo code Rundown. Every month you stay a member, we get a kickback. Uh, and again, another way to show us that you care. Um, so, until next week, uh, be safe, stay sane, be kind, wear a mask, social distance, stay home if you can. You don't have to eat at a restaurant just because they have dine-in now because it's getting cold. Just don't be stupid, okay? <laughs> Sal's got nothing. <laughs> I got so, nothing. It's, it's... Lee, so, for, the, for those of you listening, at home, Sal leaned into his mic like he was going to say something and just looked at the camera and went, meh. So, <laughs> I've talked a lot in this episode. We all have. All my uh, internet wrestling community listeners, and I know there's a lot of you out now there. Now you have something. Be nice to each other. What the fuck? We're all humans, right? Have you met the internet? <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs>